0: Good morning. It's Monday, March 21st, 2022. I'm Herb Morgan, Senior Managing Director and Chief Investment Officer here at Efficient Market Advisors. This is my weekly economic and market commentary, which can be obtained by subscription, free subscription, uh, which comes with the slides and the graphs and the charts or via podcast. Any of the major podcast systems, just tell your smart device to play Herb Morgan's podcast or the official title, Slaying Bulls and Bears, making the complex and complicated simple and sensical. Everything you're about to see and hear is designed for use by either investors or financial advisors. Of course, each are expected to make their own investment decisions. Nothing contained in this presentation should be treated as investment advice. There are no recommendations for the purchase or sale of any securities Everything is for informational purposes only, its accuracy, adequacy, or completeness cannot be guaranteed. Well, we erased about half of the year's losses in the major stock market indices. You can see uh, S&P 500 is down now only 6% year to date after rising about 6.2% last week. Similar movements in other equity market indices interest rates nudged a little higher last week sending the the aggregate bond index down about 40 basis points but high yield which often moves more in sympathy with equity had a strong rally up almost 90 basis points high yield spreads had been widening there's a psychological number there of spreads to treasuries of about 400 basis points and i see see that number that number close significantly last week with a big move in High yield bonds. Let's get into last week's economic data. There was plenty of it. The big one, of course, was the PPI that followed the prior week's CPI. It was expected to rise nine tenths of a percent. It only, with quotations around it, rose eight tenths of a percent and uh, is up 10% on a year over year basis. Two thirds of that price increase was due to higher energy prices. Energy prices spiked on the Russian invasion of Ukraine as we thought that they would, but interestingly, prices for services moderated. They were unchanged. So it was all good news, but in the end, if we're being very uh, realistic here, these relative calms in the PPI and CPI data may be short-lived due to further supply chain uh, interruptions caused by the Russia-Ukraine invasion. Okay, moving on. We got the twin uh, readings from Philly Fed and New York State Manufacturing. Those are two regional Fed surveys. They conflicted. They don't do that often, but sometimes they do. It usually is a very short-lived one- or two-month conflicting report. There's some data anomaly. I'm guessing this month that the anomaly is in the New York State Manufacturing Survey because it was expected to come in at 6.4, and it came in at minus 11.8, which is just a huge, huge miss. Orders and shipments fell, delivery times lengthened, inflation remained elevated. And we look at when the survey was taken, it was taken the 2nd through the 9th of March, that was the immediate period right after Russia invaded Ukraine, that spiked commodity prices, that likely hurt the sentiment of that survey. Uh, A lot of those prices have moderated somewhat. The spikes have mellowed a little bit. And the Philly Fed survey for March showed an entirely different story. Philly Fed business survey rose from 16 in February to 27.4, almost doubling the estimate. You couldn't have two different uh, reports between New York State and Philly Fed. New orders skyrocketed. Shipments skyrocketed. Delivery times, because of this great demand, Uh, obviously lengthened, which is tough, unfilled orders expanded. Employment went to an all time high. Now I'm not just cherry picking, I'm obviously happy about the report, but I really think that the date with which New York State uh, survey was taken had that negative impact. And I think the Philly Fed is more likely what's going on. This tells me that despite the uncertainties around interest rates, around energy prices around geopolitics that the US economy remains fundamentally strong with little to no chance of aggregate demand waning this year therefore little bit little to no chance of a recession let's take a look at retail sales rose three- tenths of a percent just under the estimate that was after a big gain in January though however and of course a big chunk of that was was fueled by a massive increase in gas prices which Normally, retail sales going up is great, but when it's just a reflection of price, that's not so good. Uh, We did see a big gain in restaurant sales as Omicron cases, COVID cases, have declined very sharply. Uh, So that was good news there for the retail service sector, for the restaurant sector. Import and export prices continue to remain elevated. Import prices rose 1.4%, taking out petroleum, still up 7 tenths of a percent. Export prices up 3 And now, yeah, that's right, 16.6 on a year-over-year basis. All of this, of course, helps nominal GDP, but we're we're more concerned with real GDP backing out the effects of inflation. Business inventories up in line with expectations, 1.1%. Inventory-to-sales ratio down from 129 to 125. Looking at this graphically, this inventory-to-sales ratio, you still have very low, near historic, or at least near five, you know, six-year lows, it's a chart I brought up, the graph I brought up, of inventories to sales. So what this tells me is with inventory low and sales strong, again, how can you predict, how is a, a, a recession predicted from that? That is sort of taking the worst case scenario from the energy price spikes and suggesting that they never abate, that the market never responds with additional supply that the regulatory environment or or the geopolitical environment never changes. And history tells us that's usually not the case. Things do change from these spikes. So uh, moving on to housing, a lot of data last week on housing, National Association of Home Builders Index came in at 79. It's a little below the estimate of 81, but anything above 50 is positive. So it's extremely positive for the nation's home builders, Um, you know, just a solid, solid situation for them. In terms of uh, housing starts and permits, also very strong numbers. Um, They were up 6.8% for starts. Annualized rate is getting close to 1.8 million. Building permits were down a little bit, but they're also at 1.85 million. Very strong number for the nation's housing sector represents about 4% of GDP, so very significant. Let me ask you this question. Which sector represents a greater percentage of GDP? Housing or energy? The answer is housing significantly greater percentage of GDP, energy much lower. Existing home sales fell 7.2% to a 6 million annualized rate after gaining a nice chunk in January. We need to see that higher, but prices causing a little bit of pain. Surge here was prior to the expected interest rate hike. We're gonna see now that the Fed is no longer in an ultra easy cycle is slowly trying to normalize policy rates, very slowly, uh, whether or not that moderates some of the uh, parabolic increases in housing prices that are, quite frankly, unsustainable. Weekly claims for unemployment came in at an extraordinarily low number of 214,000, again, suggesting that aggregate demand in the economy is very strong with little to no chance of a recession. Now, industrial production and and uh, capacity utilization is one that I've mentioned years and years and years and years all the years where we really had no inflationary pressure. I said, you know, when when capacity utilization, that's the red line on the graph. When that starts to spike to the high seventies, getting close to eighty, you can often, not always, but you can often see signs of 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 uh, inflation in there, and so we're starting to see that. But it's not. It's not even at 80% yet, and uh, with capacity utilization at 77.6. That suggests that we can continue to grow and expand the economy without too much inflation re- that, would, that is resulting from capacity issues as opposed to the little, not little, but the commodity price spike inflation that we're experiencing now, which can moderate very quickly um, when the time's right. This is a very busy graph, sorry for it, but I think it's worth looking. The white line, which is the left hand, excuse me, the orange line, which is the left hand scale is CPI. And I always say that CPI and capacity utilization can correlate very strongly. Over here on the right, on the right you've got the white, that's capacity utilization, 77%, just like the last graph I showed you, and CPI spiking. They do often go hand in hand, You also see, uh, I added recessions here as well. So the question is, is this spike in inflation enough of an energy price shock to ultimately cause a recession? And I don't think it is this time. I know it has in the past, but it doesn't necessarily mean it will this time. And I'm going to get into that as we progress here a little bit. Okay, first and foremost, aggregate demand in the U.S. economy is Humming along, very, very, very strong. Backlog of orders, that's the white graph here, the white line in the graph. The backlog is 65, that's near an all-time high. Coming out of prior recessions, we had high backlogs and then experienced great growth, but very rarely were we at this level. Inventories, extraordinarily low. Also coming out of recessions, you typically have low inventories. So very low inventory, very high demand, This is the classic sign for economic growth. The question is, how inflationary will that growth be? And will it be so inflationary that the Federal Reserve says, well, because we have this job, this mandate to control prices, we're gonna go ahead and raise interest rates and kill uh, the economic growth and and, and engineer a recession. That really is the $64 question of today for investors or anybody. So let's talk about energy prices. per real dollar of uh, GDP in the United States. Going back, post-World War II economy, energy consumption represented about 15% of GDP. So 15% of every dollar, real dollar GDP. This is just for inflation and everything else. Today, energy prices are near all-time lows. this goes through the end of 2020. I sourced this from EIA.gov. Fascinating website. If you're interested, you can go look at the data there. Um, And clearly with the price spikes today, we're going to be a little higher, but GDP is also increasing. And so even though we're experiencing an energy price move, move, and it's certainly not desirable, we're in a far better place, far better able to withstand it as and overall economy today than we've ever been in, uh, in history. So energy is a far less important part of our GDP than it's ever been. Technology is a far bigger, and technology demand seems to be unabating uh, across, across the board. In fact, the, the inflationary pressures are driving further investments, capital expenditures in technology companies, which are primarily, of course, um, U.S. based. I also thought I'd just put a long-term perspective chart on CPI, consumer price index, and throw on the red recession indicators. You can see big, big spikes, you know, and then uh, you can see the recession, big spike, recession, big spike, recession, small spikes, recession, small spike, etc. And we've certainly had that big spike, so I understand why people are having the discussion, and I think it's a worthwhile discussion, and I could certainly be wrong, uh, but I just think there are too many other things going on in the economy, and I do think we do have the uh, ability and the capacity to get the supply situation fixed. The extra spike here, I think, is, is attributable to Russia, Ukraine, as opposed to just the reopening spike that we are already experiencing, and the executive order movement Domestically with the administration to restrict domestic production or North American production of energy, so that was your first spike and then your second spike. it was sort of a double whammy um, we 'll see how that goes uh, moving forward um, this is just this is just zooming in a little bit here on a uh, recession probability chart. Now the white line when this goes up and spikes it 's um, suggesting that the US uh, chance of a recession is much higher. It's a formula that Bloomberg creates based on current GDP and the prior four quarters GDP. So if current GDP relative to the prior four quarters GDP was estimated to start going down or not grow, you would see this white line spike up. So looking at this, it doesn't appear that there's much of a likelihood of a recession at all. In fact, let's zoom in on that graph here. More recently, that's the COVID recession, right? The GDP, we shut the world down and cut down, and we've barely budged off of the, almost a zero probability of recession. Now, so the question becomes, you know, we all remember when uh, Fed Chairman, not all, but <laughs> I remember because I'm old enough, Fed Chairman Paul Volcker uh, worked with the administration in, in the 80s, and they wanted to whip inflation, control inflation, so they deliberately engineered a recession by having a long succession of interest rate hikes. And they did that, and they did kill this long-term sort of permanent inflation expectations that existed in our psyche. Well, last week, the U.S. Federal Reserve raised interest rates. This is the yield curve last week, starting with the one-month Treasury, uh, versus uh, uh, versus a, a, a week ago. And you can see very little difference in, like, say, the 20, the 30, here's the 10-year very little difference in the two, suggesting that uh, a) the Fed is not going to be as aggressive as the 1982 Fed. B) they're not because they don't think they need to be. Now, despite that, this is world interest rate probability screen from Bloomberg. You know, as I mentioned, the Fed raised rates a quarter point. Target range for the Fed funds rate is now between 25 and 50 basis points. And here are the likelihood of of hikes uh, uh, in uh, the next meeting. So there's a very good chance of a 25 basis point hike by May 4th. And, and now people are predicting that by the end of the year, uh, we could have seven rate hikes from here. Uh, and that would put Fed funds at you know uh, closer to 2% by the end of the year. Um, I think that is entirely dependent on whether or not CPI and PPI and core PCE begin to moderate, uh, and whether or uh, not inflation, or excuse me, employment stays as strong as it is. If if employment is as aggressive as it is, and inflation is still high, they continue to do it, that's fine. Uh, But I do think that the Fed, more than anything, watches those two things. And then the third is credit spreads. So if credit spreads start to blow out, you know that's recessionary, because if credit can't flow through the economy, you can't have um, economic growth. So right now, credit spreads are very healthy. We don't see that changing anytime soon. I showed you the great performance in high yield last week. Um, so we are we are not in the recession camp in 2022 here at EMA. Okay, economic data this week, nothing really. Monday and Tuesday, new home sales on Wednesday. uh, uh PMIs um, on Thursday for the month of March. These are going to be preliminary readings, they look strong, they look good, Friday new home sales and consumer sentiment. None of these are real big market movers this week. I think that more than anything, we'll be focused on developments, geopolitical developments in uh, Russia, uh, Russia Ukraine situation, I think that's uh, important. Um, other than that, I think we're getting ready to get ready for uh, earnings. Earnings will begin you know, roughly April 10th, so we're just a little, a little less than three weeks away on the earnings season. And uh, I don't think there's a whole lot of folks that want to be short, uh, particularly things like big tech as we move into earnings season. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you again next week.